Anybody, has anybody ever at Christmas time had stress? Have you ever had any stress at Christmas time? Uh, anybody ever been too busy, kind of run around in circles at Christmas time? Anybody ever had disappointments at Christmas time? Anybody ever had any envy at Christmas time? Anybody ever had any jealousy at Christmas time? Anybody ever had any frustration? Or do you pay somebody to put those toys together? <laughs> Anybody ever had any resentment because people didn't recognize and appreciate all you were doing? Anybody ever had any anger at Christmas time? Is it okay to talk about this? Um, we have a lot of those kinds of feelings at Christmas time. And they may not all be wrong, but I know some of them are. A lot of those feelings are unhealthy, and they lead to unhealthy words, and they lead to unhealthy actions a lot of time. And one reason for that, if you're filling in blanks, is our expectations, which may be too high. You can have too high of expectations. And a part of me is going to blame the advertisers. Um, because the advertisers never, ever encourage us to just be content, right? What, what if advertisers told the truth? Here's a really overpriced and useless item. Do you want to buy it? It won't make you happy. It'll be shiny and fun for about a day, and it's going to end up in your garage, and you'll forget it by next Christmas. Is that what they say? The advertisers uh, try to create a sense that we need stuff, and that we want stuff, and that we're entitled to stuff. One guy said, people today have absolute necessities that didn't even exist 20 years ago. Or I'm going to go with 36 years ago when the cell phone came out. Okay? Uh, and, and the advertisers do that, but we kind of buy into that. We say, yeah, yeah, I do deserve a little more. Uh, do you ever hear the advertisers say, what do you get the man or the woman that has everything? Don't get them anything. Take some of their stuff and give it to people that really need it. They don't do that. They encourage us to want more and more. And the expectations we have about that set us up for some of those tough feelings. But it's not just expectations about stuff. It's expectations about the gifts we give and how people will respond to the gifts we give. I didn't even know this is a thing until I became a grandparent. Did you know it's a thing that sometimes your grandkids like what the in-law grandparents gave them better than what you gave them? That's a thing. Prepare yourself for that. Uh, and, and there's expectations about the food we will eat. You can't have turkey on, on Christmas. That's Thanksgiving food. 
And there's expectations about how much food there will be. And there's expectations about how Christmas Day will go. And there's expectations about who spends which holiday with whom. And who all is going to come together. And how long are they going to stay And sometimes you want that to be a little number, and sometimes you want that to be a big number. But there's expectations about the time you spend together, and about the time off, and about the travel, and about the traffic, and the speed of the internet connection when you're ordering your gifts online, and the speed at which the gift... There's all these expectations. And we need to recognize that another part of that, again, on the note sheet is that our expectations may not be met. Uh, we don't control all of that. Other people are involved. And, and our expectations may not be met. So because we can have too many and too high expectations, and because they may not be met, even our best ones may not be met, we kind of set ourselves up for some disappointment and some frustration and maybe anger and resentment and all those other things that are very different from what the one whose birthday we celebrate taught us. So I found a passage that may help us, not to shame us, not to make us feel guilty, but to help us, guidance from God. And Fred's going to come and read it to us. First Timothy chapter 6. I'm reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, the second verse, starting the latter part of that verse. Teach and preach these principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has morbid interest in controversial questions, and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant frictions between men of depraved mind uh, and deprived of the truth, who who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain, when accompanied by contentment. So the the essential message of the passage is that God wants us to be content. God wants us to be content. Now he talks about a lot of other things in there that I won't go into, but the gist of it is that he wants us to be content. And he says that in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he says in verse 8, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I'm waiting for an amen. That amen comes out a little tough, doesn't it? Did you notice? He didn't even say how much food or what kind of food. And he didn't say what brand of clothing or what kind of clothing 
or how much clothing. But if the basic need for food and clothing is met, we will be content. Amen. Yeah. This text was not written in America, but Americans need to hear it, right? Um, and uh, you have that same kind of thing several times in Scripture. In Luke three fourteen, John the Baptist is preaching, and he's preaching repentance, and everybody's saying, what should we do? What should we do? And the soldiers say, what should we do? And John says, be content with your pay your wages. Amen. I got one. I got one. How many of you are content with your wages? Did you know if you just sit there and be content with your pay, that's Christian. And if you sit there not content with your pay, you figure it out. Philippians 4, verse 11. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be well-fed or hungry, to have plenty or to be in want. I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of that great verse is Jesus is so powerful that he can even make an American content. And then Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God will never leave us. We may be well fed, we may be hungry. Uh, we may have plenty, we may be in want, but he will never leave us. And so we're content. Now, the passage gives us two reasons for commitment, uh, contentment. And the first one is that we didn't bring anything into the world when we entered it, nor will we take anything out when we leave. And that's pretty much a direct quote from verse 7. We didn't bring anything here, and we're not taking anything with us. Uh, did you hear the story of the rich miser who counted his gold coins every night and his wife said you are too attached to that stuff but still he counted his gold coins every night and she said you know you're not going to be able to take that with you and he says ah but i am i'm going to put my coins in a chest and i'm going to put them in an up in the attic and when i die as i ascend to heaven I'm going to snatch my chest full of gold coins. And so we put them up there. And sure enough, he died. And a few weeks later, um, the wife went and looked up in the attic. And yeah, the chest is there and the coins are there. And she said, that man, I told him he should have put it in the basement. <clears throat> Take a second and just explain that. Well, it doesn't matter which way you're headed, you ain't taking it with you, okay? Uh, I, I envision life, our existence, as we're, we're in this field, and we're trying to make it through this field. We're on a journey, and we're trying to reach our destination 
which is another field, another area. Uh, and, and you need a few things to make it through this first field, but you're going to have to put it all down before you enter the second field. And that second field is eternal life. Uh, and there's no sense really in gathering up too much stuff because it'll just make the journey harder and you're going to have to let go of it all anyway before you enter that second field. And that's what he's telling us. You're not going to take anything with you. And the other reason that he gives is that if we are discontent, it can lead us to seek more and more possessions, which will bring temptation and ruin. And so verse 9 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is dangerous. Money is a rival to God. Jesus said how difficult it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it's always uh, been strange to me. I kind of get it. I kind of don't get it. Why we have a goal of getting to the point where it will be hard for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why, why is that such an important goal to us? And so as we travel on this first phase of the journey and we're trying to get through, uh, it's not wrong to pick a few flowers. Uh, this text will say, I think it's down in 17, uh, that God gives us good things for our enjoyment. Yeah, enjoy some flowers on the journey. It's okay to stop and rest for a little bit, but don't camp out. Keep, you know, keep walking. And don't wander too far off the path looking for the shiny things uh, that may lead you not to finish the journey and to miss out on the second phase of the journey, uh, which is eternal life and which is our real home. Um, Ecclesiastes 5 says, whoever loves money never has enough money. You know, I know how much money you want. You want the same that I want, and that is a little more. And when you get it, guess what you want? A little more. Uh, and and it's never satisfied. We're not content with what we have. Uh, and Jesus also said, Mark eight thirty six. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? If you wander off that path and you find all kinds of shiny things, but you don't reach your destination, what good is that? And so, since we can't take it with us, and since it can ruin our faith. Uh, we need to be content with what we have. And instead, filling in the blanks, we are to seek contentment in God. Uh, not in stuff, but in God. And the way that's stated in this text is, uh, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, which brings contentment. 
and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You confessed Jesus as your king and you qualified for eternal life, which is at the end of the journey. But in the Bible, eternal life is also available even now. We get a little bit of the experience of a different quality of life, abundant life, that the Bible calls eternal life. Take hold of that now and find contentment in God. One of my favorite psalms is a really short psalm, Psalm 131. Uh, And in the NIV translation, it uses the word content, uh, and the idea of contentment is also there. It says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. That passage reminds me of Christmas Day when the toddlers run around and they open all these gifts and they play with them and they tear them up and they play with the paper and they hide in the boxes and they steal each other's stuff and they go grab a a snack off of the table and they play some more and they wear out. And at the end of the day, hopefully, they crawl up in their mama's lap and just want to be held by their mama and be content with her. They've enjoyed all the shiny things, but they find contentment in their mom, which is kind of what we need to do, right? Is be thankful for the good things God gives us, but look for our contentment in him. That's where contentment comes. And if we go looking for contentment in the shiny things, it may lead us to ruin And so we have to be careful with that. So the message is we are to seek contentment in God instead of seeking contentment in money and things. And that's the primary kind of contentment that is being addressed or the specific kind of contentment being addressed in 1 Timothy 6. But I think the principles of 1 Timothy 6, and that was a blank, principles uh, apply to all the other things that make us discontent, including the things that make us discontent at Christmas time. And so the principle of enjoying the good things, being thankful for the good things, but guard, guard against developing unhealthy expectations about Christmas and remember, that's a blank, That contentment is found in God alone. So when we go into the next 10 days um, and we've got all these expectations, guard against being discontent with how things unfold. Uh, You can plan some things. You can do better instead of worse. But you can't, you're not going to get everything you want, whether it be your stuff or your schedule, or your time, or the way the day goes, or your travel, or your traffic, or your credit card bill, or whatever. It's not all going to go the way you want it to go. Guard 
against <laughs> expecting that and look for, look for contentment in God. Um, I love Isaiah 55. I want to read that too. Uh, it's so apropos all the time in my life and I think very apropos now at Christmas. Come all who are thirsty. I think we're thirsty, but we don't know what we're thirsty for. When I'm thirsty, I think it's for a Route 44 Vanilla Coke Zero with easy ice. I've ordered that more than once. But water would actually quench my thirst better. And we're thirsty for stuff and we have all these expectations about what will quench our thirst. But it's not the things we think it is. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Contentment is found in God. Now, one last thing. Uh, remember, Satan doesn't approach us and say, hey, why not abandon God? He doesn't do it that way. He, he tries to lead us astray gradually. Gradually. Uh, in James 1, that process is described with a fishing lure metaphor. It says each one is tempted when he is dragged away. And that's the word for a fishing lure. Dragged away and enticed by their own desires. And those desires give birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. That's the way he does it. And so I want to urge you to be careful that you don't gradually, each year at Christmas, not only gain a couple extra pounds, but also look for a little more stuff, a little more expectations, a little more reason for disappointment. Don't do that, but instead seek contentment in God. And fortunately, even though this time of the year is fraught with opportunities to be discontent, there are also opportunities to find contentment in God. And one of those opportunities is right now as we worship him. And if you need to pray with somebody, we'll have folks at the back. Let's stand and sing.